Father, we continue in prayer this morning and thank you that you are our salvation, that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray this morning as we hear from your word in Ecclesiastes, Lord, a long way from Christ, um, but not far from you, that you would impart your wisdom and your truth into our hearts, that we would hear you and see you and love you more for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us for the first time, thank you for coming to be a part of the family at Midland Free. If you're tuning in online, thank you. Uh, We're glad you're here. Um, This morning, we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's an Old Testament book. Not a lot of people go there because it's a bit strange and different and very deep and intense and profound And yet it has some very significant things to show us today. And so today we're going to start with um, the first part of chapter 3, the first eight verses, verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to read those to you and then talk a little bit more and then we'll come back around to the rest of the chapter. But uh, the reason for doing so is because I want to do my best to approach this text as it is. And what this first part of this chapter is, is a poem. Like it's poetry. It's beautiful. It's symmetrical. It's something that um, literary people will call a merism, which basically means just two different extremes, like the North Pole and the South Pole, the rising of the sun and the going down. Basically, it means everything in between these two extremes. And I want us to be careful about this because depending on um, your educational experience, people will read the Bible differently. And sometimes the people will read the Bible and they'll see something like this. They'll see a time for war and they'll say, oh, see there, that justifies military action today. No, <laughs> it doesn't. It's just a poem. And it may be the case that whatever conflict you're advocating is in fact justified but not just by reading this poem. The point of this poem is to show you this all-encompassing version of life that takes into account everything that happens from the beginning until the end, from the moment you're born until you die, from the rising of the sun to the going down, from the four seasons, everything in the middle, the whole gamut. This is what this poem is to represent. So let's read it, and I want you to hear it, and I want you to breathe it, and I want you to feel it, and I want you to experience it and sense it like you would, for example, at a funeral. At a funeral, you feel the intensity of life. And a lot of times, people will read this poem, and you don't need a lot of explanation. As you listen to it, and those words sort of land on the soil of your heart, You hear and see and feel and smell and touch and taste the reality of this experience. All of us, no matter who we are, rich, poor, young, old, experience life. And this poem looks at the vast beauty of the differences and experiences of every day. So read with me Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 1. It says this, for everything... There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, 
time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to reframe from embracing. Time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Time to tear and a time to sow. Time to keep silence and a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now what happens is this. As we're looking at the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Here's a picture of that book. Here's the artwork for that sermon series. On the far left, you'll see probably in about the 10 o'clock position, the earth with the sun above it. And what that represents is this phrase that you hear over and over again in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, under the sun. Our experiences, whatever they may be, are governed by the sun. Like we live on this little blue spinning rock that goes around the sun. And here we are, and everything is determined by that day and night. Winter, spring, summer, fall, it's all under the sun. For we who are mortal, finite human beings, this is our experience. And this is what they're talking about then in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, is all these different seasons that occur under the sun. And the author is going to ask, through it all, is there anywhere in this whole thing that I can find anything of meaning or value? The author says they're going to experiment with it all or test it on themselves. And let's throw that slide up there again. Thank you, Martin. You're doing a great job. And what he finds is he tests everything under the sun. Pleasure, sex, work, wisdom, folly, the whole gamut. And he realizes that they're all just vapor. They're fog. They're clouds. They're hebel. They're nothing that can be grasped because they all just like come and then go away. And so the question then becomes, well, how then can we enjoy life? Is it even possible through all of these seasons, these various up and downs, to find anything lasting or meaningful or significant? And last week we talked about that some and we said one of the keys to doing that is to accept and enjoy your portion. (laughs) Accept and enjoy your portion. And we used pie as the illustration for that. And the idea is, you know, there's various slices of the pie, but we're not the one who slices it. And we get something and we need not argue about the blueberry or the crumble or the topping or whatever. But we accept what we get, enjoy it and live within those confines because that is the portion or assignment that's been given to us underneath the sun. This week, we're going to continue that theme. And I struggled a lot this week. How am I going to explain this? Because I don't want to re-preach the same sermon, but it's the same theme from a different passage, and we're going to unpack it a little differently. So this week, kiddos, if you're writing down in your um, bulletin or sheet what the main idea is, it's the same one as last week. It is to accept and enjoy your portion, but this week we're not going to use the image of a gift instead, or sorry, the image of a pie, instead we're going to use the image of a gift. We're going to use the image of a gift. So let's say, for example, let's say, for example, that someone in your family happened to be invited to a birthday party. 
And all of a sudden one night you come home and you see your wife sitting on the couch and there she is and she has a look of consternation on her face. And as a man and as a husband, you know, this could mean a number of different things, right? So it's time to tread carefully. Pretend like you didn't really notice it a little bit. Keep doing the dishes because no man ever has been murdered while doing the dishes. (laughs) So you're doing the dishes and you're putting away stuff. And then you're just like, oh, honey, how's it going? And there's that consternation look. And again, it could mean many things. So you tread lightly and you ask, is everything okay? Fortunately for me, this is why I'm still here to talk about it this week. Everything was good. I'm just joking. My wife is really nice, but it's fun to have a joke once in a while. Um, And as it turns out, she was really wrestling with what birthday present to buy. How many of you have ever been there? What do we get so-and-so? I have no idea. And she's working through that process and she's like, I want to get them something really meaningful or I want to get them something that they don't already have or I'm going to get them something that they'll really enjoy. And she's thinking through this and thinking through this and I'm like, honey, who is it? And she gives me the name and I'm like, oh, it's a kiddo. Don't worry about it. You're way overthinking this. You know what's going to happen, right? There's a big pile of gifts there. And the kids are just like, birthday, 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 present, 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 present. And then when it's finally time to open the present, what do they do? Tear through the present. And the parents are like, there's a card, there's a card, there's a card. Doesn't matter. They're going into it. Oh, present. Where's the next present? You know? And that's what happens. And they go through them all that fast. I'm like... You're spending way more time on this than they're going to spend opening for sure. But she's a good person. That's what she does. She thinks carefully about the gifts that she's going to give. And she wants them to be meaningful. And so she thinks through them. Now, I was saying uh, earlier, it's a good thing to know scripture. It really is. But on occasion... It can be a little dangerous. Now, as a pastor, I've run into a few scriptures before. And one scripture this morning happened to come to mind. And that was Matthew chapter 7, 11. And I was tempted. But I didn't say to her, honey, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more so? I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing about gifts. That's why I'm still here today to talk about it. I didn't say that. See, a time to speak, a time to be silent. (laughs) Most of the time for you guys, it's the latter. (laughs) Be silent. You see, what happens is this. is Someone who cares and someone who wants to do well, they think through a gift and they think very carefully about what they're going to get because they care about the other person and they want to do a good job. Now, if that is the case with us as human beings, how much more so with God? How much more so with God? And what we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 and following is this, is that life is a gift. That our very existence, our ability to breathe, that waking up in the morning, the moment we are conceived and eventually when we come out of the womb and take that first breath or make that first cry, that is a gift. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 12 says this, 
I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil for this is God's gift to man. Life is a gift. If you look at this next graphic that we've been using of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that package or that present. And then you'll see the hand of God reaching out and touching Adam that Michelangelo so beautifully portrays and says, this is in a sense how you could imagine things happening as God gifts or gives us life. And so today what I want to do is this, is ask the question, how do we enjoy this gift? How do we enjoy life? And there will be three things that help us to do so. Three ways to enjoy life from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Hey, that works nicely. Ecclesiastes 3, three ways to enjoy life. Follow along as we read the rest of the chapter that's going to answer that question for us. How do we enjoy life? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9 and following. The author asks, what gain has the worker from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that people cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how then do we enjoy life? What gain has the worker from his toil? What is this all about? Three ways. Number one, accept the limits. Accept the limits. As you read through Ecclesiastes, you'll see two big themes coming out. One is life and another is death. And death, the author tells us, is the great equalizer. Rich or poor, wise or fool, it doesn't matter. It happens to us all. We are mortals, we are finite, and therefore we are limited. And death is the ultimate statement of that. None can escape it. None have control over it. It happens, and that's it. The author looks at it and says, man, are these days short. Our lives are perishable. Every heartbeat, every hair, everything is numbered. And there is only a limited or finite amount that each of us will experience. None of us knows how many days or moments or hours we have. And we all know that at some point they will end. Life is limited. 
It is limited not only by the number of our days, but also by our energy and our resources and our intellect and everything that we experience. I sometimes wonder why God designed, of course, the human creature like he did. He hasn't told me that, but think of how many things we have to do just to exist. You know, we have to breathe. Our heart has to beat. We have to eat. We have to sleep. You watch these movies and they move from action scene to action scene to action scene. Of course they do because they're a movie. It's nowhere close to real life. In real life, you have to go to sleep. (laughs) And you have to get up the next day. And you have to eat. And then you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's not very glorious. But it happens to all of us. The reality is we are limited by our substance. We are made of dirt. We are flesh. We are not immortal, unstoppable, infinite beings. We are limited. Accept the limits. Accept the limits. This is the portion that God has given us under the sun. Accept that. Don't fight against it. Accept it. Go back to the birthday party for a moment. Does anybody want to know what the gift was? Anybody? It turned out since it was for a little person to be a gumball machine. A gumball machine. Now think of that little gumball machine. And think of the various ways that that gift could have been accepted or received. As I thought about it this morning, I thought, you know what? There's a lot of different ways. If the child struggled, for example, and I don't know, I wasn't at the party. I'm just totally making this up. But if the child struggled with perhaps anxiety or the fear of the future, if if they had perhaps not enough food or some traumatic event in their life, they may have received those gumballs, but then been really, really scared to use them. Like, hey, this may be the only gift I will ever get. I'm not sure if I will ever have these again. And so they don't use them. Instead, what do they do? They hide them. Maybe they go out and bury them in the backyard. And then eventually, maybe a few years later, they dig them up and what? They're rotten. They're dirty. The worms have eaten them. They're no good. They're gone. Or they're too hard. Another response that a child could have is they could... Decide to go ahead and use them, but conserve them. You know, be very careful about them. Maybe I'll, I'll have half of one today and I'll chew it up. And then I'll put the chewed piece underneath my bed and save it for later. And then I'll take out that chewed piece and I'll add the other half. To give it a little bit of flavor and make it go just a little longer. And get the maximum life I can out of that single gumball. Or perhaps that child would say, you know, I'm going to use them. But every time I do, it reminds me that the the pile gets a little smaller and it makes me sad. And so I'm going to cry and I'm going to mourn the loss of every single gumball. How much fun would that be? (laughs) Every time you're eating a gumball. (laughs) Bye bye gumball. I'll never have you again. Or maybe the child would say, you know what? I'm going to enjoy them freely, but I won't share. I will make sure that I enjoy them. Because, hey, why not? They were given to me. It's my gift. It might as well be just for me. Or maybe the child would actually come to the point where they would say, you know what? These are awesome. I love them. I'm going to eat them and enjoy them. And not only am I going to eat them and enjoy them, but I'm going to pass them around and share them with all my friends. Do you know why? Guess what will happen next year? I'll have another birthday. 
And birthdays will come around again. And the seasons will come and the seasons will go. But there will be another birthday. And so I may use up all that I have now. But why not enjoy it while I have it? Why not share it with everyone around? Friends, does this sound a little bit familiar? What do you do with life? What do you do with your resources? What do you do with your time, your money, your energy, your effort? Do you bury it in the backyard and never use it because you're afraid you're going to lose it? Maybe you came from a difficult economic circumstance and it's understandable there's some trauma behind that. And so you naturally want to hold on to things and protect them and conserve them. What do you do? Perhaps you think you can manage it. You know enough to like cut it in half and stick it under the bed and pull it out and add just a little more. And you think it'll take sweeter because of the way you divided it up. Or perhaps you say, you know what? I'm just going to ruminate. I'm going to think about all the ways I could have done this better or done this different. And I'm going to spend all my energy mourning my past mistakes and the life I left behind. And you're going to eat every single gift with a bit of sadness. But the song we sang this morning said what? When the devil roars his empty threats... We preach the gospel to ourselves that we're not people condemned. We could consume the gumballs that way or we could enjoy them freely and just narcissistically eat them all up ourselves. But that's not right either. Perhaps maybe just maybe God has given us this gift of life to share it freely with others. We know at some point it'll run out. And yet maybe just maybe there's another birthday yet to come number one accept the limits number one accept the limits number two trust the giver number two trust the giver i hinted at this verse for fun earlier but here it is in its fullness matthew seven eleven says if you then if me if i if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him look life is a gift ecclesiastes eight fifteen. see we're looking at chapter 3 today but it comes up over and over again says this i commend to you joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life through the days the number the specific number of days that god has given him under the sun We need to trust the giver. We need to believe that God has actually thought through this gift before he gave it to us. I think some of us want to grab this thing and say, Lord, I'm not so sure that you really thought through this. Couldn't you have me born at a different time, at a different place, or in a different way? I mean, if you knew what you were doing, you would have done it differently. Or perhaps maybe, just maybe, God has thought through this. And the life he's given you is specifically the one he wants you to have. That's one of the things that's beautiful about children is when they accept a gift, most often they accept it with childlike faith. And that's why Jesus praises them in the New Testament. He says, hey, look, here comes a gift. It is called life. 
Don't stick your hand out and refuse it because you're not sure what's in it or what you're about to get. But instead, open your arms and receive it. Accept it as a little child and trust that the giver has actually thought through this. I think we worry about the future in that way. I'm not sure. I don't want to get there. It seems too scary. Think of all the bad things that could happen. I never want to experience that. I probably will. And we put our hands out and we refuse the gift that God is about to give us. Instead, we have to stop and take a step back and say, don't you think he's thought through this? What's coming from him is good. Receive it. Number one, accept the limits. Number two, trust the giver. Now, before I go too far, I'm talking, of course, about sort of our first birthday, our temporal life. This thing that God has given to give for us to live now. But there is a second birthday too. And for those of you who are believers in the room, you're probably already going there. For those of you who are not, let me explain something real quick. This is what Christians call being born again. We use this funny term because we recognize that at one point in our lives we were born physically. But we believe that the New Testament teaches that even though we are born physically, we're spiritually dead. And as dead people, we can't bring ourselves back to life again. And so we need God and his Holy Spirit to come and enliven us or quicken our spirit and give us the gift of faith and make us able to take that first spiritual breath to breathe and believe. And when we suck in and we look up and we find that we are dead, but he who is crucified lives and we can believe in him and have forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. And one of the cool things about the New Testament is it teaches that life is not just future, but it's now. Like when you believe in Jesus as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins, at that moment, you get eternal life. If you have believed in Jesus, you have eternal life. Not that you wait for it until you die. You have it right now. It's an ongoing present possession. You have it because you have the spirit. You have life. And that life is invigorating you and making you alive and making you want for something more. Because you know that under the sun, things are broken. They're wrong and they're not right. And you long for something more. And there's this tension of the already, not yet. You want to accept the good gift of the giver. And yet you know there's something even better. So you can't reject what he's given you now. And yet in the same way, you have to live in the moment and look for the future. Trust the giver. And number three, apply your faith. Apply your faith. This is how Ecclesiastes says it in this chapter, in verse 11. Here's what's going on inside of you. Here's the struggle or the tension you're wrestling with. He says, in verse 11, he, God, has put eternity into man's heart. He has put that in you, that feeling that longing that desire for home that's never satisfied the thing that proves everything else to be vapor god put that there why just so you would be unfulfilled no so that you would seek after him because recognizing in verse 11 that that desire is there and yet you yourself cannot fulfill it you cannot find out what god has done from beginning to end It is simply impossible to satisfy an eternal longing with finite things. But boy, we try, don't we? 
I mean, I tried. Don't get me wrong. You know, I got a sore back or a sore foot. I see a commercial. I'm like, that back massager looks really good. (laughs) We'll fix it. We'll buy that. So many things we want to fix. We want to make better. We want to make right. And yet, no matter how hard we try, they all fall short. Listen to me. Let me say a hard word to you. And kiddos especially hear me because your teachers are going to tell you something different. They're going to tell you, um, study hard, make good grades, go to a good college, get a good job, make good money, have a good wife, have a good life. That's the formula. But here's what Ecclesiastes says. God has put eternity into your hearts and nothing other than that will ever satisfy you. None of that will ever, ever, ever make you happy. It's not enough. You will try and you will try and you will try and ask this author, it comes back blank. So how then can we enjoy life or how can we be satisfied, unsatisfied and yet content? Because surely, doesn't the New Testament teach us to be content? And yet, Ecclesiastes tells us we'll never be satisfied. How does that work? The answer is number three, the third point. This is how you live your life, is by applying your faith. Applying your faith. That means that when you receive the gift, you trust the giver. And you believe that each and every day you get up and you go to work, that every single little thing you do, if done for the glory of God, has meaning. Even if you don't see it today, even if you don't get immediate rewards, even if it looks like it's turning around to backfire you and bite you on the rear end, no matter what, you believe God's promises are true. And then you wait, you wait. That is the worst thing of all you could say, right? But we have to wait. We have to apply our faith. We don't get it now. We're waiting for that thing to come about. And then you hope, you endure, you work, you laugh, you love, you suffer, and you persevere. We have to apply our faith. We know that the gift is good. We know that the giver will come through. We know that he has something planned. We have to trust him for the future. This is the only way possible we can actually enjoy life. So birthday number one, birthday number one is when you're physically born. Birthday number two, birthday number two is when you're born again, when you believe in Jesus for the first time. And birthday number three, birthday number three, I think that's the one we're all actually waiting for. When we leave this life and are translated to the next. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and following says, therefore, despite all the seasons, despite all the toil, despite all the vapor, despite all the struggle and effort, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, There's another birthday and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
How do we enjoy life in a fallen and broken world where our efforts often seem unrewarded? Number one, we accept the limits. Number two, we trust the giver. Number three, we apply our faith. We believe, we believe. We don't hold back on that gift, but instead we receive it, we enjoy it, and we share it, and we trust that there's another birthday yet to come. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the author of Ecclesiastes who wrestles with difficult things. The brevity of our lives, our time on earth, and the often futile and meaningless things we pursue. Lord, I pray that as you continue to give us life, that we would receive, accept, and trust you for each and every single day. Help us to apply our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.